Daily Drive is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 28th. When it comes to autonomous and driver-assist systems that rely on cameras and LiDAR, and even more established features like navigation that requires GPS, there are still driving use cases where these technologies simply don't work as well as they are designed to operate. For example, poorly marked or even unmarked roads, in a snowstorm, in an underground parking garage. Make no mistake, the advancements in the technologies that enable these systems have developed exponentially over the past several years. Still, they don't work all the time. Tarek Bolat, co-founder and CEO of GPR, and his team are trying to change that by using ground positioning radar to map the road substructure beneath a vehicle, which, according to Bolat, like a fingerprint, is completely unique. It's also stable over long periods of time and protected from distractions that may interfere with cameras, LIDAR, and GPS. While it's not a replacement for those systems, Bolat says GPR's technology, dubbed Aegis, complements ADAS and AV technology on the road today and addresses a critical need for the automotive industry, safely operating autonomous and ADAS-equipped vehicles in difficult conditions. The company recently released the third generations of the Aegis system and is working with a number of automakers to pilot the technology. Bolat and his team also have some very seasoned industry veterans helping guide the way. Its board of directors and advisors includes former Ford President Joe Henricks, former GM CFO Chuck Stevens, and Continental's former CTO Kurt Lehman. What's the science behind GPR's Aegis system? How go the company's pilots and when will we see deployment? And what are the safety, performance, and cost benefits with this technology? We've reached GPR co-founder and CEO Tarek Bolat in Somerville, Massachusetts. Tarek, thanks so much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. How are you? Hey, Steve. Doing well uh, and great to be here with you. Good to speak with you. We are covering this topic frequently on the show, and that is LIDAR and ADAS and AVs. Let's start today's conversation with describing the science behind GPR's product. Yeah, so very simply put, what GPR is doing is imaging or mapping the world's subsurface, um, as opposed to mapping the surface as you would with a LIDAR or a camera. Um, and so what we do is we have a low frequency radar called a ground positioning radar that maps the subsurface by sending energy into the ground uh, and measuring reflections off of things like changes in soil type or soil density, roots, rocks, cavities, utility infrastructure, changes in concrete. Um, that's giving you a unique fingerprint that you can then match to the next time you drive through and generate your position, regardless of any other conditions that are going on on the surface that typically um, might come in the way of, uh, of other sensing modes. So how is this approach different, maybe better than other systems that we see like LIDAR and camera-based systems? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, when I think of a LIDAR and a camera-based system, those are surface-trained optical systems. So they're imaging the world around them as the human eye sees, uh, more or less. So looking at things like trees or buildings or signs, lane markings, that sort of thing. 
um, and then trying to use that data uh, to generate a very, very precise position. And we know because we're in an automotive context, a safety critical context, that that position needs to be right all of the time throughout the length of the journey. Um, and so the challenge with that, of course, is that you don't always have good images to look at on the surface. Your map might grow stale, so um, you know things change on the surface, whether that's things like foliage falling off of trees is a simple example. Uh, if you have snow on the ground or falling snow, that poses issues for, for LiDAR and camera as well. Um, and sometimes you just don't have features to begin with, so you can imagine an open road that, uh, that doesn't have any features. Or the other side of that problem, which is you're in a totally uniform environment, like inside of a parking garage um, or a distribution center or a warehouse. And so there's a lot of challenges that cause gaps in continuity of journey or continuity of performance uh, when trying to do positioning with a LiDAR or a camera. And then with GPS, of course, you know, a standard technology, the very, very coarse resolution uh, and large reliability gaps because of blockage um, and multi-path there and that sort of thing, as we're all familiar with by just trying to navigate our way around the city or to a Starbucks in a city, you know, we see the little blue dot on our phone jump around quite a bit. Um, now with GPR, we have built the only built for purpose positioning solution for ADAS and AV. And so we said, rather than trying to replicate what a human does, which is look around the world uh, and try to ingest that information to make uh, decisions about where you are, we can actually use radar and a very specifically type of designed radar to image the subsurface, which is an ideal area for, for doing positioning. Why? Because of a couple of different factors. Factor one is that the subsurface is very, very rich in unique detail. And so you're always looking at a unique image uh, to match it. And factor two uh, is that it's static over a long time period. So these maps are very, very stable, years long in most cases. Uh, and what that means is that the map maintenance burden uh, is greatly reduced. You don't always have to be driving around making sure that every little detail of the surface map is um, uh, is current. Uh, and so that provides a big value with for both AV uh, purveyors as well as traditional OEMs building ADAS systems. You say, yes, we want to have this type of positioning, um, but no, we can't be mapping and remapping areas every single day. So it's interesting when you talk about this permanency of the ground positioning radar and you talk about everyday distractions like rain and snow and you name a distraction, somebody crossing the street uh, unexpectedly, for example. I'm curious, is this system a complementary system to traditional LIDAR, traditional camera, or is this a standalone system? And if the latter, how does it adjust to those everyday distractions that might come out of nowhere? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, um, you know, we break down the world of autonomy into sort of two core functions. Um, there's perception, which is what's going on dynamically in the world around me. You know, is there uh, someone about to step into the street? Um, that I have to avoid. Uh, and then there's positioning or localization, which is where is the vehicle exactly. Um, and so we're building the dominant localization solution out there. Um, and so when we think about how does this interact with other sensors, um, we think in the context of like an ADAS solution or an L2 solution, you're going to see GPR, camera, 
GPS, in some cases, LiDAR on there because LiDAR will be doing perception um, uh, with GPR really being the dominant positioning input because of its reliability. In the context of a level four autonomous vehicle, like a, like a robo-taxi, for instance, um, you know, the model's a little bit different there uh, because you're typically putting a lot of sensors on the vehicle to get a very, very good result. Um, and then you can pair back from there a little bit, but generally speaking, um, you're gonna wanna use LiDAR camera you know, and GPR. One of the advantages of introducing GPR into a stack like that is that it's totally uncorrelated. It succeeds and fails in uncorrelated in different ways from a LiDAR and a camera. So just to give you sort of a simplified example, LiDAR and camera are looking at the world around them. Um, if it snows, uh, they're both going to have issues with that. So that's a correlated failure. Um, whereas the, the subterranean surface looks uh, looks similar. Similarly, if there's something underground uh, that is causing an issue for GPR, it's very unlikely for a LiDAR or a camera uh, to have the same issue with that. So you put these together, we talked about building really robust uh, automotive safety systems at scale um, in AV and uh, in ADAS. Well, I think the consumer trust piece of that is also an important factor. I think the verdict is still out whether consumers, number one, understand all this technology, number two, maybe even care how it works, number three, if they're willing to pay extra for those features. I mean, everyday consumers, does it work? Does it keep me safe, et cetera? And I think what you're describing here, this layered stack, sounds like it will go a long way in terms of gaining that trust with consumers and, yeah, this will keep me safe. Yeah, I mean, the research is clear on two fronts. Um, you know, it's clear that consumers are willing to pay for safety improvements that they believe in. Um, and it's also clear that there is sort of a broad gathering frustration with the current state of ADAS. Um, you know, consumers want ADAS to be doing more for them than it does today. Um, and part of the part of the sources of frustration is sort of mode switching the features on because lane markings are visible, oh, lane markings are no longer visible, the feature's off. That sort of thing that ends up having consumers oftentimes say, hey, you know what, I'll just switch the feature off because I don't want to have to be tracking whether it's on or, or off, or getting notifications that it's on and off. We'll be right back with more. As online experiences exploded this past year, it was clear dealers needed an approach that kept them in business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, Top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I. And they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach. And then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds' Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big picture holistic approach, visit rayray.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot -E com slash retail anywhere. A lot of these technologies today, you find them first, not surprisingly, in luxury vehicles, obviously because of the cost. 
which are coming down substantially. I've talked to a couple of CEOs that are in this space on the show over the last several weeks, and the cost thing is becoming to a point where it's making sense to put this technology into mass brands. Can you talk about any cost benefit, what the cost is surrounding GPR's technology? Sure. So we're not releasing pricing yet um, to the public, but number of OEMs who kick the tires, so to speak, on the bill of materials here uh, for GPR, uh, and they're very, very comfortable with uh, with where it is today for producing it on passenger vehicles, um, which of course is the tightest bar. You know, on an autonomous vehicle, the the cost sensitivity is is less because you're trying to drive towards utilization and carrying you know, more fares or more freight. Um, over a given time period. But fundamentally, this is an automotive compatible technology from a performance perspective and from a cost perspective. Can you talk about some of the pilots that are underway with automakers and maybe when we'll see GPR's technology in production vehicles? Yeah, great question. So um, can't disclose individual OEM names, but we are working um, towards production with a couple of the large OEMs out there. Um, really targeting ADAS features like things like autonomous valet parking, uh, some off-road uh, features here in the North American market with SUVs and pickup platforms, uh, as well as um, uh, as well as things like on-highway, uh, you know, lane assist uh, and autonomous uh, autonomous lane keeping. Um, part of the you know part of the the value proposition here is that. Every consumer vehicle is also turned into a mapping vehicle. Uh, and so as more and more GPR equipped vehicles are out there, you tend to get radical increases, you know, an explosion in map coverage um, where it may or may not make sense to send a, you know, GPR mapping vehicle down XYZ suburban lane. But, you know, if you've got a, uh, a car that you bought that has GPR on it, you're going to be able to map that lane very, very quickly. Uh, and so the, there's this dynamic where the product is continuously getting better, map coverage is continuously expanding, uh, and that obviously makes the product more attractive for new users to uh, to join it. Um, and so there's, a, there's sort of a positive uh, positive dynamic at, at work there. Your test cases, your pilots, just in the light vehicle area, or are there things you are trying in commercial vehicles uh, and and those things, the, the movement of goods, if you will. Yeah, so also covering the movement of goods all the way from sort of class eight trucks. So, you know, autonomous trucks where you've got really tight um, uh, lateral air requirements. So you can imagine, you know, I was just, I was just in Detroit yesterday uh, driving past the class eight truck on, uh, on I-75 there, you know, the margin of error is very, very small. Um, and so yes, being able to- been there many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So the uh, being able to do very precise, high confidence positioning is incredibly important for an autonomous trucking application. Similarly, you know, if you think about sprinter vans, um, you know, which is a big business uh, for some of uh, some of the OEMs, very profitable. Um, uh, those tend to be doing last mile delivery in urban markets, um, where GPS, for instance, tends to be quite poor. Uh, and so we're, we're we're running the gamut in terms of you know I would call it kind of sprinter all the way through class eight, um, and the the use cases and the gaps are different, but fundamentally the need to generate a reliable position um, with centimeter level accuracy is common across all of these applications. At the same time, though, the economic business case 
really makes sense at that last mile. You're running thousands of last mile delivery vans. If you're able to do that faster, more efficient, not only the gas savings, the fuel savings, the operational savings, but given what your system is powering, aid as an AV, there's probably a workforce savings there as well. Um, and so, so this area I think is is a really where that commercial business case makes the most sense. Would you agree with that? And what kind of feedback are you getting from folks you might be working with in the market? Yeah, so you know, it's it's clear that one of the most sensitive variables to the unit economics of a robo taxi or a commercial fleet doing you know delivery of goods is utilization making sure that you're able to be carrying a fare or freight um, you know, as much of the time as possible uh, and in the most efficient route possible. So you don't want to have to take the long route, so to speak, because you're, you would otherwise be going through an environment that you can't do positioning in, for instance. Um, and so being able to increase utilization uh, is a clear lever on building a much more um, profitable uh, and much better uh, customer experience for uh, for freight, you know, and for robo taxi. How about off highway, heavy duty? Any applications when you think about the caterpillars, the deers, those manufacturers that are making big bulldozers and and big heavy construction trucks? Yeah, a bunch of interest from some of the leading players. You know, all the way from you know mining vehicles, so you know multi million dollar mining vehicles. Uh, often, uh, often open pit and closed pit mines, all the way through to things like rail, um, agriculture, construction. You know, in general, um, these tend to be relatively confined spaces relative to um, you know, call it the open road or the highway system. Uh, and so, you know, you're able to to build maps very quickly there, uh, and uh, and provide extremely precise you know, positioning inputs. They also tend to be really challenging positioning environments for surface sensors. So things like camera and LIDAR, because you're looking at a very dynamic environment, you know, like a port is a very simple example here where you've just got containers moving around the port, nothing is fixed. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of interest from a, a broad swath of sort of industrial autonomy uh, you know, from freight to, to warehouses to sidewalk delivery um, and everything in between. Let's close with maybe some of your perspectives on the industry and where all of this is going. It's a crowded market, LIDAR, camera, GPS. How do you see this crowded field of players shaking out? And what do you think are going to determine the winners and losers? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a couple of dynamics at play here. I, I think dynamic one is that you're seeing uh, you know a lot of cost decrease in lidar, for instance. But I think the winners there, the, the folks that are going to be able to you know hold margin and offer a differentiated solution to customers, are are ones who are really building out sort of the software enabled and algorithm enabled uh, capabilities of the uh, you know of their sensor and being able to package that and offer that. Um, all at once. I think if you're just offering hardware without uh, without it being coupled to really dynamic, uh, differentiated software, it's going to be tough to win over the long term uh, in uh, in that market. Um, and you've seen players that have executed this really well, uh, as well as folks who who've done less well. But ultimately, you know, you want to you, you want to. I think these players want to be able to avoid, you know, being 
an extremely competitive kind of race to the bottom pricing um, RFPs and say, hey, we actually have a proprietary differentiated solution uh, that's really, really powerful in terms of what you and your customers are looking for. So let's look ahead. What are you most excited about of the future of connected autonomous vehicle? What's what's really uh, what's really making you smile? What are you really excited about? Yeah, I mean, I know it's uh, it's it's sort of a common answer, but the improvements in safety, um, you know, the car accidents claim so many lives here in the U.S. and abroad, uh, and that number is actually increasing um, despite improvements in safety technology. Um, and so, you know, really thinking about, gosh, we can make a dent in that. Uh, and that really builds up over time. Uh, we've all, most of us have known folks that have been touched you know, in one way or another by, by injuries or, or fatalities and car accidents. And so for me, being able to you know, deploy a technology that is, um, that is you know, radically changing the safety equation, you know, is, uh, is, uh, is really exciting. Tarek, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with me, sharing your perspectives on the industry and sharing the latest about what's going on at GPR. Congratulations to you and your company. Sounds like you've had a lot of recent success. Uh, we look forward to continuing to watch that story unfold. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Steve. Great to be with you. That's Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 28th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com, and to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.